It's the Broadway Show Uncut, the podcast where we talk about Broadway's biggest shows and where we talk to Broadway's biggest stars. Another couple of great interviews for you on this week's pod. Coming up in just a few, it's one of the most provocative and exciting new plays of the season, Ain't No Mo. It's a blend of satire and sketch comedy with a dose of drag. The show just played its first preview performance in front of a sold-out crowd. Jordan E. Cooper is the youngest playwright in Broadway history. That conversation is coming up in just a few. But first, let's rock. Almost Famous is here. The Broadway musical adaptation of Cameron Crowe's Much Love Movie. It's a ton of fun, pure joy on stage. And here's Paul Wontorek talking with Cameron Crowe. Cameron, thank you for joining me. My pleasure, Paul. So great to be here. We're at Sardis because you're a Broadway name now. <laughs> How does that feel? Wild. When you say it, it feels pretty good. I mean, uh, it's a great world to be a part of, for sure. I mean, I love our cast. I'm there every day. They can't get rid of me. They can't get rid of you. Yeah. yeah. I just love it. Which is funny because we're talking about Almost Famous, of course. And by the way, before I even go, I have to tell you, for so many years, I have asked actors, which movie do you want to see become a musical? And I have heard Almost Famous. And I've heard many actresses say that they, they want to play Penny Lane. I mean, that was part of it. But this title, had, were you aware of this? Were you aware that there was such a desire to see Almost Famous on Broadway? Not really. I mean, people asked from time to time over, over the years. But it's really like the movie kept clicking upwards in terms of people seeing it again yeah. or remembering it. And over time, that's mostly all I hear about from, from stuff that I've done. And people take it so personally, and they're always music lovers. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's natural that we can create an atmosphere that's filled with music, where you kind of like feel the elixir when you walk in, and the and the musical can make you feel the way the movie hopefully made you feel. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And what's cool about this show is that there are a few very well placed, uh, recognizable rock songs. Yeah. But but this is an original score by Mr. Tom Kitt, who I love. He's such a super talent, honestly. Love and, Tom Kitt. And you, of course, are a lyricist. You're, you're <laughs> a, a now a Broadway librettist <laughs> and lyricist for Almost Famous. And the, the music is yeah. incredible because you it, it honors the period while being completely original, yeah. while also being theatrical and properly telling the story. It, it is quite a feat. Thanks, Paul. Well, you, you came to see it in San Diego. I which, did. It, which is really great. So you saw our kind of first incarnation, which has got the soul of everything we're doing now. But it was such a personal kind of run in San Diego. And we all kind of came together and learned about each other. And, and I, I was amazed. You don't always get that in the movies because people come in for a few days and leave. Yeah. But the idea that we've lived together now for like four or five years with this cast, it's amazing. I, I, I sat down with Casey Likes the other day and I'm like, you know, I feel pretty comfortable with you, man. We know each other really well. And he goes, yeah, I've spent a fifth of my life with you. And I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> now I feel old. But um, no, the San Diego run kind of set us up for the yeah. feeling uh, that we're able to, to bring to the stage here. Yeah. So cool. But you, you had to be nervous about the music aspect. Yeah. You, are, you are known for being a musicologist. I'll, I mean, and this is uh, Almost Famous is based on your life and, yeah. and, and your adventures as a young journalist True. True. Uh, on the road. And on the so road. 
people and your soundtracks of your films are Thanks, legendary. I yeah. feel like whenever one of your films comes out, this sort of like the soundtrack was a thing. It's kind <laughs> of like, it felt like it was gonna be very carefully curated. So I feel like you had to be nervous about getting the music element right. And not, Absolutely. you didn't want to make it a jukebox musical. You didn't want to make it a pure greatest no. hits of the era. No, I love Jersey Boys. I yeah. thought Jersey Boys was great and really well written. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, Almost Famous felt like there was a challenge to kind of look forward and look back. So it wasn't such a kind of nostalgia explosion that it's kind of like some people that loved music are gonna come together and craft a world where maybe you didn't know that was an Elton John song or not. Mm -hmm. And what is that? Right. Oh, I recognize Tiny Dancer. I recognize Cat Stevens' song, but like that's a song that, wait a minute, did I? And I love that game and Tom yeah. Kitt was born yeah. to make that happen. When I met Tom Kitt, like I, I can be really like indecisive about when when somebody's right for a job because you're going to spend a lot of time with them mm -hmm. so you kind of like well let's get together and have coffee i met tom kitt and i'm like let's do it you're the guy let's go he has such heart and enthusiasm and he came in and was just uh so openly uh loving of almost famous and he said i really want this job it's my dream and i'm like your dream is realized let's go and we've had such a great experience writing lyrics, but, but also just kind of channeling the feeling of the day, like mm -hmm. 1973. Yeah. That little time before everything got super mainstreamed yeah. in music. And you to see Elton John or Joni Mitchell or Cat Stevens, you'd go to a place like our theater where we have the musical now. So it felt authentic that we would create that world. And that music 50 years later is still relevant. So. Yeah. It's good to splash around in those waters. It's also convenient that Tom Kitt, the, the guy who said he wanted to write the musical, is a Pulitzer Prize and Tony Award winner. I mean, yeah. he's also a very fa talented guy. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't carry the awards around with him, so I'm able to, to like I remind look at them. him like an actual human being <laughs> rather than a demigod. Um, but he's so you know he's he's very self-effacing. Yeah, just so energetic, and that's the best kind of people to work with because you you want the people that are just like chomping at the bit to mm -hmm. get in there and start the day. And uh, that's the way he is. And Jeremy Heron, too, our director. Yes, your director, absolutely. Yeah. I, I have to say, I can't wait for the cast album because I love this score so much. And I have a friend uh, named Larry who is who considers himself a music expert of the era. And I told him to go see this show. And he very warily went into it yeah. and was like, this is this is correct. So we did okay with Larry. If Larry Larry gave almost famous two thumbs up, so I don't know. I think you're done. Walk away. We're good. <laughs> We're good. We have Larry. Come on. No, it's the it's also the coolest. Uh, so Joni Mitchell River is is one of the yeah. the classics in the show. It's a great showcase for Soleil Pfeiffer, who oh, yeah. got the role of Penny Lane that every actress I've ever met wanted. Um, Joni Mitchell came to your opening, actually, out in California. Did, did you get the thumbs up from, she did. from Joni? Paul, I was terrified. <laughs> I've, I've loved writing about her for a long time. I kind of like, when I was at Rolling Stone, that, that was my domain. I was like, I'm going to plant a flag and write about Joni Mitchell as much as you let me. <laughs> so I have over the years. And um, she let us have River. She let us have River for the movie of Almost Famous, but yeah. then for the musical, she let us have it too. And then we got word that she was coming. 
for opening night. She doesn't make that many appearances. No, and she was still recovering from an aneurysm yeah. that was pretty tough for yeah. her. But there, there she was. The SUV door opens, and here's Joni Mitchell coming to your your musical, and it's just like it's it's giddy and it's terrifying, because she she I've seen her in situations where people covered her music in front of her, and if it did, doesn't quite hit the note for her, she won't tell you that it did. Mm -hmm. She'll be very pleasant and noble and wonderful, but you'll be waiting for something extra may not come. So um, when, she, when she saw Almost Famous, the first thing she said is, uh, it's better than the movie. Jeremy Heron was standing nearby, and he's like, can't argue with Joni Mitchell now, can you? <laughs> and, um, and she's been talking about it ever since, Paul, which is wild. I, I've, I've done some work with her uh, archival releases, and she, she can't wait to come see it here. So it's, again, slightly terrifying, but she's, she's seen it, like Larry. So if we... Uh, if we scaled the wall with those two, walk away, right? He's also a Joni Mitchell freak, by the way. So there you go. Hopefully they can <laughs> hang together. <laughs> so um, let's talk about the story and why people love it so much. Like you said, it's set in 1973. It's such a great um, family of characters. So, I mean, you have William Miller, who's, mm -hmm. who Casey Likes plays, which is sort of your alter ego. Yeah. His mom, uh, Anika Larson, the, 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 the band members, the rock, real rock and roll stars, yeah. the groupies. It's really sort of this, yeah. this beautiful um, array of characters. What do you think people latch on to about sort of this thing you created all those years ago and won an Oscar for, by the way, for, for the screenplay? Yeah. But what, what do you think has made it so endearing and enduring? I'm honored by your question. It's truly great, and I'm lucky to even be asked that question. I've thought about it recently, and I think it's because the characters are based on real people. Mm. They're real people. I mean, it's not like, you know, you go into a writing cave and go, what can I have them do? It's really, what did they do? Mm. What do you remember of these people? And I remember a lot. So sometimes when I watch the show, I get lost in it. I get lost in the real people, and I remember them very vividly. And Anika Larson is my mom. I mean, Frances McDormand is like Mount Rushmore. You know, she's yeah. like epic. And she channeled my mom. They met briefly. Yeah. She like took a few pieces from my mom and then created another person, which is remarkable. Anika channels the teacher in my mom. Because mm. my mom, you know, as teachers can be, they're always teaching. And that was my mom. Don't take drugs. You can't take drugs. Your brain cells are so <laughs> valuable. Don't ruin them. You know, and so when she'd get a hold of a rock star on the telephone, for example, yeah. she'd be teaching. That's, that's Anika, and she cracks me up and makes me cry some nights and stuff, most nights. Um, Casey is, is, is me on my best day, you know, <laughs> kind of funny and effervescent, and, and I, I love what Casey does. Um, but even the band members and Penny Lane, they scratch at something truly real for me, and I think hopefully that translates to people. They don't, they don't feel like concoctions. You have made a lot of beautiful, very memorable films that have sort Thank of you. been a big part of my life over the years. But this one is definitely special with people. What, what is sort of the, the lesson that you would pass on to 
filmmakers or artists in general about, is it sort of this, like this is obviously very intensely personal to you. Is it sort of like really lean into that? It does. It, in a way, Almost Famous should have been the first thing that I did. Mm. Um, but it was still kind of bubbling up into being what it was going to be. I wanted to write it as a vehicle for David Bowie. I love mm. David Bowie's acting. Wow. And I had written about him, and he's just everything you'd imagine him to be. And I, I loved the idea of him playing a kind of down-on-his-luck publicist in the same mm. era. And, but the, there was something about the screenplay that was just kind of lopsided. And the, the, the woman that passed through the client that was in the story's life was Penny Lane. And I, the reporter was just a little guy that appeared a little bit. But over time, Paul, it's like the reporter and his family became the story. And music was the, the, mm -hmm. the context, loving music. So it's family and loving music. And that became almost famous. And I think it was the fourth or fifth movie that I made. But the yeah. good fortune is that because Jerry Maguire happened right before it, mm -hmm. I was able to get all the right people to be behind the camera. We had a great cinematographer and we were able to shoot in the actual places where things happened. Yeah. And, and what happened, Paul, was, was people, it didn't quite work in the theater because I think the it wasn't a huge concept or anything, but over time, people kept watching the movie. And what they want to talk about is how much it reminded them of when they fell in love with music, or even when they fell in love. And that was, that was how it became the first movie that came later. So when people asked me, and I've, I'm always kind of honored by the question when they say, like, can you give a piece of advice to me? I'm just starting to, to write a movie or make a movie. I always say, don't write the movie that you think is good in the marketplace that will allow you to do what you really want to do later. You won't get to what you want to do later mm. because you're not being real to begin with. So if you can tell your most personal, embarrassing story first, it just might be the thing that people really hold to their hearts. And then you can do all your other stuff. Sure. So like Francois Truffaut and some of my, you know, Richard Linkletter even, mm -hmm. some, some of my directing heroes, did do that. So I was lucky enough to circle back and do my first movie later. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean, I, I lucked out. But that is probably, that and Say Anything are the most satisfying things that I've written because they're the most personal. Mm -hmm. I, I was Lloyd getting my heart broken. That was my first heartbreak. Almost Famous was, you know, slamming the door open and getting out in the world away from my protective little home and getting, you know, caught up with Led Zeppelin. And why not write about that? So I did. Is there something else uh, really personal in your brain that you would love to, to, to put out on, on the screens? Yeah. yeah. The, the, the gift of working with these actors has been thrilling because I want to keep working with them. Like I, I, well, we got to figure this out because I don't want to steal from Almost Famous the musical, but <laughs> I, I want them to have all the time that they can playing in, in, in Almost Famous uh, on stage. But I also would like to use them in the next. movie. You want to use all too. these actors in, in, I do. in your next I do. Deep, deeply personal yeah. movie that Why I'm going to love. Come on, they know me too well. Be easy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So you're, you're still inspired uh, to get certain stories out out there. Yeah, I totally. I mean, I, I'm. It blows me away to even talk about you saying that there's a body of work of my stuff because to me, I'm just getting started, you know.
I, I can't wait to, for the next privilege of being able to tell a story. I can't wait to see it. Thanks, man. <laughs> I'm going to stream it and see it in the theater. That's the coolest. <laughs> but you, and I want to work with Tom Kidd again, too. I mean, yeah. it'd be so great to do st stuff with him and, and, and to do more in the world of plays and musicals. It's just been a dream that I never thought we'd get to. I love to imagine that you have this show on Broadway and you can sit there in the theater and have this intensely personal experience every night with these actors you love. It's just, it's kind of beautiful. I, I hope to look across the orchestra and see you sitting there having, <laughs> having your moments. <laughs> Sometimes people sitting in front of me will turn around when it's over and I'll be like this and they'll be like, are you okay? <laughs> oh wait, that's the guy. <laughs> you signed this playbill? I'm like, yeah. It's okay, it doesn't have to make you cry. And they're like, but you crying makes me cry. <laughs> so it gets messy, you know, in the best way. That's the give and back of Broadway, the, the back and forth, uh, the give and take. Uh, are there any other uh, Cameron Crowe movies that you think would maybe make the leap? Ever, oh, no. Has anyone ever come to you with other ideas? They have, they have, Paul, and it, it's, I don't know, this is the one that felt yeah. right, you yeah. know? And it, I've never done a sequel or anything right. like that, yeah. so, I don't know, I mean, it may, maybe, a, a, I always wanted to maybe revisit Lloyd, Lloyd Dobler again, um, but maybe it's just good to, like, go on to new territory and yeah. learn from this whole experience of being I think you chose stage. well. I think Thanks, this man. is the perfect Broadway debut. So welcome to Broadway. Thank you so much. Thank you. I am so honored. So if you want to lose yourself in the rock and roll of the 70s, Almost Famous is on stage right now. It's a blend of some classic rock songs as well as brand new music from Tom Kitt. You're going to want to see this. But you also want to check out Ain't No Mo. Charlie Cooper talked to the show's star and the youngest playwright in Broadway history, Jordan E. Cooper. So Jordan, congratulations on making your Broadway debut with Thanks. Ain't No Mo. How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling ecstatic. It's 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 craziness. It's craziness. Like I've I've been a Broadway baby since I was a baby. So I'm I'm just so honored to even be a part of the community and no longer just standing on the outside, just adoring everybody and everything. And now it's like ah, now I can do the thing and 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 do it eight times a week. So I'm just. I'm so hyped. Yeah. So hyped. Tell yeah. me about how you're preparing for that because that's exciting, but it's also a lot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, I mean, it's it's something that I feel like I've been waiting for my whole life. I mean, we did it at the public in 2019, and that was eight shows a week. Um, but this feels different for some reason. Uh, and so I've been in showrunner world in my head because I'm yeah. a, you know, I got uh, the Miss Pat show, which I showrun and create. And so my I haven't really been in my performer self for the past two years. So uh, really just getting my body back situated with it, you know, playing music, doing yoga, working out, you know what I mean, drinking water and, and really just pushing myself back into that, into that peaches mode, you know. Yeah. So we can have a lot of work, yeah. I love that. How did show running for Miss Pat on, mm -hmm. on BT Play? Plus, kind of prepare you for that, and then also your prior experience to that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really just it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one, it's another one of those jobs where you cannot call out, or else everything will fall. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it it was really just it was it was really tiring, but it, it stretched it stretched my own capacity in a really interesting way. And I think this does the exact same thing, just on that on that more so my performer hat front, just stretching my capacity because I realized you know. 
know, that I could do a lot more than what I thought I could do initially, uh, which is always a beautiful thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Obviously, you have your hands all over this project. You wrote the play, but then you also star in it. Yeah. Do you see things from two completely di different perspectives? I do. You know what's so interesting is that I going into it, I really go into it as the actor, especially in this 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 point in time. You know, I'm making script changes, I'm doing very minor things, but for the most part, I'm, I'm really really approaching it just as an actor. And so, literally, I'll be talking to Stevie, uh, my director, and he'll be like, uh, "What do you think about this?" And I'll be asking questions like, "What did the playwright mean when da 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 da?" da? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I really, but I feel like that's that's the beauty of like I'm so grateful for the gift of both because I feel like. Acting makes me a better writer and writing makes me a better actor. Um, but I'm constantly able to divorce the two and, and expand the text and the language in that way and really allow myself room as an actor to really grow and, and interpret things how I want to interpret things, even though maybe there was a different intention when I wrote it. Yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about working with Lee Daniels on this. this yeah. That's huge. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, Lee came when, when I did the workshop of this at The Public in 2018, he came and he saw it and he just pulled me aside afterwards with tears in his eyes, just thanking me and just saying that, you know, he had never been touched by, by work on stage since Dreamgirls, since he saw Dreamgirls at the Imperial Theater in the 80s. And it just, you know, people say that all the time, but, but he, he had this kind of uh, fury in his eyes, like, I want more people to see this. I mm. want more people to see this. And it's also Lee it. Daniels saying it. Exactly. Like, your it's mama's saying it and Lee Daniels saying it. Literally, literally. And I used to watch Empire and Star every week. Um, <laughs> right. So it was, yeah. it was just, it was just really um, a beautiful connection that I had with him. Because usually, you know, you meet people and you don't know what the vibe is going to be like, especially celebrities. It's like, what is going to, but there was just an immediate connection where we saw each other and he was like, I wish, I wish I was like you when I was your age. Wow. I wish, I wish I had the, the same thought process that you have and so I'm just so grateful to like him because he's also teaching me how to you know pass the baton on when mm -hmm. it's my time you know what I mean and really really we have to pull each other up and, and give each other the resources that we need because if not it's like you know ain't no more probably just would have been at the public and we got extended twice and it was sold out every night but like you know that that was that but now it's like we get to have a whole new life and, and rediscover the play in a whole new way and, and I'm rewriting some things and I'm playing with some things and it's just, a, it's just, this is not a play that's supposed to be on Broadway, you know? It's not the traditional, it's not a Raisin in the Sun, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very in your face, you know, I always told people, you know in the first five minutes whether or not you're gonna be able to sit through that 90 minute show, whether or not you're gonna put that, that church figure and be like, I can't do it, I can't <laughs> do it! Cause it's just, it's an explosive event. It really is an explosive event, and and it's not the typical thing that you would see on a Broadway stage. And I'm so grateful that you know we're in a new day and time, and 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 people are ready to be challenged in mm -hmm. a new way on the stage. Um, and I'm just excited to 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 challenge them and, and blow the roof off every night. <laughs> yeah, you're incredibly impressive. You're a young black man telling this very black story. It's very raw. It's very like you said in your face. It doesn't feel watered down at all. Reading the script. Um, talk to me a little bit about holding that space and what that means for you. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, this was a play that I never thought anybody would ever produce it. Mm. <laughs> it was really just uh, for myself. You know, I started writing the first the first part of it. I started with the church scene, um, and I started writing that like the late 2016, early 2017, uh, when Philando Castell and Alton Sterling got mm. murdered within like a week of each other. And I, I'm that kind of person who always say I like to laugh at funerals. I'm like, I'm like, why is her wig crooked? Why? Is she wearing a bra and she's going six feet under like Jesus would let her titties be free 
Uh, and I just always have to find some kind of joy, some kind of, because I feel like there is, there is something to laugh about in the perseverance of a thing. And my way of laughing at it was like, what if we all just went back to Africa? What if we all just said, F it, you know what I mean? We're gone. And in that, in exploring that thought, you know, more challenges and more questions came up for myself. Well, what does that look like? And why would we do that? And what, all these different things came up. And so while I was laughing, I was asking questions and challenging the answers in, the, in a very specific way. Yeah. yeah. Um, is it something that you're personally hoping to do just out of curiosity? Um, or something that you've done, I guess. Um, ha have you visited Africa? And, and if so, has that, did you incorporate any of those elements? I have never gone. Really? And I think that that is also where this play comes from. It comes from this kind of, uh, this kind of, I feel like what a lot of black Americans have, this romanticized Mm -hmm. version of Africa and what if and how big it is and how that could be the promised land, right? And then the play actually examines like, well, I don't know, let's see where that goes, you know what I mean? Um, and really, I think that that's where, where the play came from was this like kind of bright-eyed idea of like, oh, I've never been, you know what I mean? And I was a kid who I was watching Roots at six years old, you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. I, was, I was fascinated with history and my history and where we come from and, and all that interesting stuff. So it's, it's a really interesting uh, play and really dives into those questions because I feel like a lot of you know a lot of plays that uh, or works in general on TV film that usually have to deal with uh, blackness in some way shape or form always is usually like pointing a finger to whiteness like mm -hmm. oh mm -hmm. how dare you or this is how we should be treated and this is how we should be doing but it's like it's not doing that it's actually calling us into a new thing right it's mm. not it's not a respectability politic in any way shape or form it's like no let's let's all black white whoever let's let's all sit in this space and let's ask these questions together and let's go to church yeah you know? Yeah, I love that. Um, so I know you made mention, and prior to the interview, we were talking about you being outside, passing out flyers yes. years ago, yes. and now having this huge moment. Um, I imagine that there are other kids, black and brown kids, who aspire to be on Broadway, yeah. who maybe are doing the same things or um, have thought about doing the same thing that you did. Um, can you kind of talk to me a little bit about like how they can look forward to possibly dipping their toe into yeah, Broadway one day. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really all about the perseverance. It's all about the perseverance. It's all about the hustle. Like I said, like I was telling you, it's like I've been watching Broadway.com since I was a junior high. So like this even this moment is a, is a huge moment for me. Um, but really it all it all just came from never giving up. Even when it was just me, you know what I mean? And I didn't have any money to pay actors. I did a musical with like 14 people and I didn't have any money to pay them. They were all were working people or students and I didn't have any money to pay them, you know, but I, but I believed in the work. And I literally, one of the actresses who's in Ain't No Mo, she's known me since I was 14 years old. Wow. And and literally she could tell you one time we were on the subway and she was so embarrassed because I was just passing out flyers like, hey, come see our show, come see our show, come see our show, come see our show. And it, it's that spirit, you know what I mean? It's that, it's that energy of like, I'm not, it's not about who's gonna see it, who's gonna give you the opportunity, what are they gonna say? It's about, no, I have to tell this story and I have this thing inside of me and I have no choice but to do it. Because I can't do nothing else. Mm -hmm. I can't do anything else but tell stories and be a storyteller and be a, be a, be a performer. Um, I, I, if, if it wasn't for that, child, I would be a horrible anything else. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I would hilarious. be a horrible anything else because it's like, it's just, it's it's just you know when it is your being. You know when it is mm -hmm. your being. And when it is your being, never take no for an answer. Never take a red light as an answer. You make your own traffic light and make it green. You know? I love that. Do love it for that. Yeah. Um, we know that oftentimes predominantly a Broadway audience looks like white male. Mm -hmm. 
Um, why is it particularly important to be telling the story right now to that audience? Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's for that audience, yes, but it's also to expand the space. Um, it's also to expand because I feel like the thing with Broadway is it's it's a really magical thing that we get to experience, right? And I think that there are so many people in New York City, in this country, in the world who don't necessarily know that they're invited to the mm -hmm. party. You know, mm -hmm. they don't necessarily know, even though they have been. You know, we're like, oh, you've been invited, but they don't they don't know. Yeah. And so I think works like Ain't No Mo is something that's like, hey, this is this literally is a cookout. You know what I mean? The the door is open. You can come in, make yourself a plate. We're gonna sit down here. We we might teach you a couple of dances, a couple of Cupid shuffles, you know what I mean? And come on in and let's let's have a good time. And I really think that that is, in order for Broadway to be sustainable, right? During the pandemic, we had all these conversations about accessibility and diversity and all these things. But what's been so interesting is is is, is Broadway started back up and I'm still seeing a lot of the same habits mm -hmm. um, that we said that we wanted to break and that we said we wanted to change and that we said we wanted to revolt against. And I think that it starts with 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 the shows that we program. I think it starts, and and we have to look at diversity beyond race, right? We have to look at re diversity as class. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Look, let's look at these ticket prices. You know what I mean? Because I, I know a lot of people like to say, "Oh, it's ticket prices that don't get black people." See, black people got money. Mm -hmm. They will go see Beyonce. They will pay <laughs> to get some Jordans when they got five dollars in the bank account. They're gonna pay for some two hundred dollar Jordans. It's about is my name on the door? Mm -hmm. Is mm -hmm. my name on the door? And I think. That is the key beyond race, beyond gender, beyond class, is my name on the door. And I think that Ain't No Mo for me is in, in, the, in the idea of that it's not a traditional Broadway play, that in itself, in its very existence, is the person who does not exist in a Broadway seat. That is your name on the door. Yeah, that's you so know? good. That's so good. It makes me think of cookout productions. Yeah. Tell yeah. me a little bit about that. Yeah. So that's uh, that's my production company, and and it is exactly that. You know what I mean? Even in the in the film and television space, it is to create you know a community conversation and celebration because it equals liberation. You know what I mean? And I think that that's the that's the kind of works that I want to produce not only for myself, but I, it's a platform for me to be able to make the works that I want to make, but also for other artists as well. You know what I mean? Artists who don't have the resources. But but have a story that does those exact same things. You know what I mean? I want to be able to lift other artists up and pass the baton and be like, hey, we're we're doing this thing together. You know, I always tell people, you know, whether whether I'm taking a bow on a stage or whether credits are rolling on a screen, I always want the ending to be a baton being passed to the audience, saying, let's let's do this race together. You know. Um, and I'm so excited to do that with over a thousand people a night at Ain't No Mo. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're in rehearsals right now. And this is the, I have never, I have never seen anything this wild on Broadway. It is wild. And I'm like, they are gonna put us out of this theater. <laughs> They're gonna put us out. Well, that's gonna do it for us. Another podcast coming up in one week. Until next time, I'm Tamsin Fidel, and this is the Broadway Show Uncut. <laughs>